Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is a lot to unpack from last night's NFL draft, and as you might imagine, that's where we'll begin on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger here today. It was clearly a great night for Georgia cornerback Eric Stokes, and we will get to that clearly. He deserves to be celebrated today. It was also a little bit of a surprise, at least to some, that uh, outside linebacker Aziz Ojolari did not hear his name called in the first round. And I want to begin right there because that's like the next thing that, that should happen for Georgia here in this draft, seeing Aziz going very high in the second round. You have to imagine one of the most coveted names still on the board. I thought that the SEC Network's Peter Burns summed it up succinctly and probably capturing the feeling of a lot of people knowing that with pick 33 about to be made, that Ojolari is still out there and eligible to be taken. And uh, this is what Peter Burns said on Twitter. I'll show this to you. He says, I'm still stunned. And I think that word stunned is very interesting from Burns. Stunned that Georgia's Aziz Ojolari didn't go in the first round. There will be some phone calls made tonight. This is obviously tweeted last night, Burns says, to try to move up and grab a young man who's only getting started at being a dominant player. And I think that statement from, from Peter Burns is so important that when so many guys you know, opted out of last season. And listen, people have their own reasons for doing that. I'm not going to bag on anybody who did. But Ojolari played, and he played at a high level, and he put up huge numbers in the SEC. And, you know, he's obviously come back from an injury that kept him off the field in 2018. What Ojolari is doing is blossoming as a player before our eyes. And obviously, I guess I assume that one of the first-round teams would reward him for that. And whoever does end up drafting him, I believe, is going to get a really good player, which actually really brings me to what I want to say about Ojolari right now. That the silver lining to all this is Ojolari, who played his college ball, obviously, the University of Georgia and also played high school ball there uh, at Marietta High School. Maybe the silver lining on this is is that early here tonight in the second round, maybe there's a chance that Ojolari actually ends up being taken by what we would kind of many of us who live here in the state of Georgia view as our hometown team, the Atlanta Falcons. One of the guys who pointed this out was Justin Felder, who uh, works for Fox 5 in Atlanta, one of the uh, local sports stations, or I should say one of the local TV stations here in Atlanta, pointing on a stat that I guess I was somewhat aware of, but maybe I hadn't seen just written in sort of bold print in a while like this. Is it's actually been since 2011, since anyone, uh, since I should say since the Atlanta, can we have that tweet, can we show that? Yeah, uh, Felder saying that that uh, could be a chance the Falcons draft their first player from UGA since 2011 tomorrow. I didn't quite realize it had been that long. Uh, obviously mentioning Ojolari there and Tyson Campbell, who I do think is going to be a big player for for uh, some organization. But at the front end of the second round, it would seem to my mind more likely to be Ojolari going than uh, Tyson Campbell there at that spot. At least that's the uh, best guess than I can have. And I'm obviously a Falcons fan in addition to being a Georgia fan. I'm, I care way more about college football, care, care way more about you know that brand of the sport. That's why I talk about it every single day. But I do pay attention to this from the Falcons' perspective. And I can tell you that I would love nothing more. And I know a lot of Georgia fans feel the same way about this. I would love nothing more to this than to see the, the Falcons pull the trigger on Ojolari tonight. It just sort of seems like the right thing to do. And I want to be really clear about something for a moment. That I'm not one of these people who believe, oh, well, the Falcons intentionally don't draft Georgia players. I'm not someone who believes that. But I do think over the years, and this is one of those things that kind of as a backstory is kind of built 
over time, year over year over year. I think over the years, I think the Falcons have had chances to draft Georgia players and have not done that for whatever reason, and it kind of sticks in the mind of a lot of UGA fans. Not because the Falcons are intentionally biased against UGA or anything like that. It's just a natural, I guess, bias in favor of UGA players that Georgia fans have of. Well, if I'm rooting for this guy in the red and black on Saturday, then it'd be kind of nice to root for him in that same color scheme when he plays for the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Georgia fans should obviously be forgiven for the fact that that's just more fun for them to see Georgia players go to the Atlanta Falcons. And some of those high-profile examples over the years where that hasn't been the case, that just sticks out in people's memory. I'll go like way back to the 80s here for a moment. Uh, Falcons take running back in a draft. They take Steve Broussard, a running back out of Washington State, and no one ever really heard from him ever again. Same draft, uh, the Falcons would have had a chance if they wanted to to take Georgia's Rodney Hampton. Hampton goes on to the New York Giants, has a good career, Pro Bowl type stuff, and uh, Georgia obviously missed out on that. Back in the 90s, there was uh, you know a wide receiver draft. Falcons take Jamie German, I think out of Miami. Am I right about that? You don't really hear much from him in his pro career. You could have in the same draft, you could have taken high. Ward and Ward goes on to the Steelers becomes a Super Bowl MVP and I would say borderline Hall of Famer that's a miss uh, for the Falcons when they could have taken a Georgia guy just a few years ago if you want to make this a little bit more modern Falcons take Vic Beasley out of Clemson when they could have taken Georgia running back Todd Gurley now they finally got Gurley years later but obviously to take advantage of the best of Gurley at the time of that draft that's something a lot of Georgia fans would have liked to have seen them do so as I said before I don't believe it's any kind of like anti-UGA bias for the Falcons I just think it's natural that Georgia fans who also root for the Falcons would like to see more Georgia guys on that Falcons roster and as I said before um maybe I knew this but it just I don't know, just uh, that that number kind of stuck out to me. 2011 it's been since Atlanta has drafted a Georgia player. Aziz Ojolari might be there for the taking early in the second round tonight, and I am calling upon the Atlanta Falcons. I'm using the full weight of the platform we have here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, saying draft this guy tonight. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Ojolari gets after quarterbacks. He's a terrific guy for the locker room. Uh, an amazing success story there at UGA. A guy who I think is going to have a bright and shining pro career no matter where he goes. And obviously, selfishly, I'd love for it to be right here in Atlanta, so we'll follow that and see where it goes. Now, let me shift gears and go to this here for a moment. Last night was a terrific night for Georgia cornerback Eric Stokes, selected number 29 overall by the Green Bay Packers. And look, I'm selfish. One of the things we talk about a lot is how the draft can be a great commercial for your program. And boy, it looks good for Georgia to see a former three-star pick taken in the first round. But I I do want to catch myself sometimes that I don't make the sum total of our draft conversation be about that. I, I do want to make sure that I kind of acknowledge what this really was last night, which is a great night for Stokes individually. In, in particular for him. And I, I feel really lucky, I'm sure many of you do as well, to have been able to be a, an observer to the maturation process that he's gone gone through during his time at Georgia. And yes, he did come in as a three-star recruit. And yes, I do think, like many other Georgia players would say, his time at UGA, developing him is part of the reason why he was able to hear his name called last night and getting a chance to, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, you know, kind of hug uh, Roger Goodell. You know, he got a chance to, you know, to do that because of his time at Georgia but this is a personal win for Stokes and as someone who's had a chance to interview him a few times and 
always come away just really enjoying his personality and glad to have been able to spend some time with him. Man, I, I tell you, I, I kind of jumped off my couch last night when Stokes got drafted. I know many of you probably did there as well. I was just really happy for him. And uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart put out a little video, kind of almost a personal message to Stokes delivered through social media. And if you want to capture really the feel-good nature of all of this, the message that Smart sent to Stokes, I think, is a pretty good example. This is some of what Kirby had to say. Big Red. Happy for you, man. Uh, proud of you. Can't wait to see what you do. Uh, you've worked so hard for this. I know it means so much to you and your family and uh, how much your sister means to you. And uh, you come a long way from that skinny guy that first came here. And uh, you've put so much work in the weight room, so much in the development. And uh, can't wait to see you excel uh, at that next level. Go dogs. Yeah, I think that's true from Kirby all the way around. It's a tremendous, tremendous moment for uh, Stokes and a great chance for us all to celebrate the way in which he grew as a player during his time at Georgia. I think he's going to be a terrific pro. Now, here's what's funny, and I'll say this for just for a few seconds. Like, for those of you who've had a chance to ever meet Eric or, you know, like I said, I've interviewed him a few times, he's like the nicest guy in the world, best locker room guy, easy to get along with. You would imagine a terrific teammate. Eric's teammates do seem to love him from the best that I can tell. What's funny is is he is now walking, like, just headfirst into actually a pretty massive controversy there in Green Bay that he has nothing to do with, but he's going to become kind of a part of because – uh, you saw probably the big news uh, around the NFL before the draft yesterday is the fact that Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay because of contract negotiation, things like that. He's not happy that Jordan Love was selected as a quarterback last year, and the other draft picks last year were used on defense, not giving any weapons. Rodgers just doesn't feel like he's been properly equipped with the weapons that he needs to succeed. And so last night, on the heels of Rodgers saying he wants out of Green Bay, Packers saying we have no plans to trade him, you know, all of a sudden, uh, first pick, everybody wondering, okay, are you going to try to appease Aaron Rodgers and, and get him some help? No, they draft cornerback. In fact, uh, a lot of folks talking about this on Twitter. I'll show you an example from Ian Rappaport here. Rap Sheet, one of the you know biggest names covering the NFL, kind of summed all of this up in terms of, of what all this is about. Rappaport writes that with the Packers and quarterback Aaron Rodgers at odds in a very public way, Green Bay takes a quarterback, obviously. I should say a cornerback, obviously, mentioning George's uh, Eric Stokes right there. So that's kind of what Stokes walks into, kind of a controversial situation in Green Bay. And in fact, when he meets with local media there in Wisconsin, you have to imagine a lot of questions will come his way about that. This is none of Eric's doings, and Eric's going to handle all this really smoothly and really easily. I think Packers fans, apart from the Rodgers fiasco, are going to really enjoy what they like from Eric Stokes, but it is interesting that he's walking into a pretty controversial situation there in Green Bay, and I'm sure he'll handle that well. So that's kind of where you are. A little bit of a surprise move up for Eric Stokes, a little bit of a surprise move down from Aziz Ojolari as the second round begins tonight. Georgia should be prominently involved in all this. Aziz going fairly early as we mentioned Tyson Campbell kind of in the mix there as well should be a big weekend to come for Georgia when it comes to the NFL draft my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m. Facebook YouTube Twitter Twitch radio noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 the ref and a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com just really happy to have you as a part of the program today and of course big thanks to our friends at kroger who are getting us ready for mother's day and keep this in in mind that we've been talking about our five-star moms deal but also for those of you who want to honor your own mom in kind of a five-star way kroger certainly gives you a chance to do that big big savings going on right now 
Uh, also, big opportunities to, you know, you want to learn about brunch recipes or, you know, things along those lines. Or you want to send flowers or kind of some sort of art and craft type thing. The kids can do greeting cards, gift cards, everything else. It's all there when it comes to uh, Kroger and Mother's Day. You can check it out online, Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more details on that. That's Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more details on that. Good to have you with us as a part of Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger here today. It is Jeff Sintel coming up. We'll talk about a bunch of stuff with Jeff. Uh, the first and foremost, there is a strong possibility that George is on commitment watch later on today with four-star wide receiver Denella Morissette. So Jeff's going to tell us a lot more about that. We'll do that with him coming up. Before we do that, though, I want to go around the doghouse here. And there was a very interesting moment last night's draft where when the Cincinnati Bengals t- took Jamar Chase, number five overall, you could tell that Booger McFarland didn't like the pick. And he kind of wanted to make the case that they should have gone offensive line there. A lot of Bengals fans did. We've actually even talked about that on this show, that there was a debate going on there in Southern Ohio about should it be offensive line, should it be weapon for Joe Burrow? And it seemed like McFarland wanted that to be the offensive lineman there. And I guess maybe because I work in media, I've, I've done some TV, things like that, maybe I'm more likely to notice this. But it was very interesting to watch Mike Greenberg, who was hosting the show last night for ESPN, for those of you who are watching on that network, as opposed to the NFL network. Very interesting to watch Greenberg, who was hosting the show, trying to pivot McFarlane off the negativity. In other words, whoever's producing the NFL draft or whoever's like focus testing the way in which the draft talked about, it was fairly obvious, based on the way they were trying to cover this pick, that the ESPN people behind the scenes did not believe that negativity about the number five pick was the right way to go about this. Because Booker was trying to say the uh, they should have drafted offensive linemen, and Greenberg, the host, kept trying to pivot it back to, yeah, but there's a lot to like about Jamar Chase, a lot to like about Jamar Chase. And you could really kind of tell the, the push and pull, the tug of war going on about how they were going to cover the number five overall pick. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because I think we have the same thing kind of around here sometimes is that when you look at the way in which an NFL draft unfolds, or really anything unfolds, obviously it is just better, more enjoyable, more more appealing to the ears of certain folks to have the positivity accentuated as opposed to the negativity. For instance, um, you know, when it comes to Georgia and the fact that maybe last night Georgia didn't have quite as prominent a presence in the first round as some UGA fans would have liked for that to be the case. And hard not to notice the way in which some folks not connected to UGA, kind of outside the bubble of all of us here at Dog Nation, or maybe even going so far as to mock Georgia for not having more first-round picks taken. I'll show you an example of this. There's a guy named Tim Watts who covers Alabama uh, who wrote on Twitter. It's like a who left the dogs out, who, 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 who. Uh, kind of, you know, basically, you know, going back to the, I guess, the 90s. Is that how far we're going back for who let the dogs out? Going back to the 90s for that. But instead of let the dogs out, it's left the dogs out. Essentially saying the dogs were left out of the 2021 NFL draft. And obviously a lot of Georgia fans are kind of aggravated by that. And Georgia fans want to celebrate Stokes here today. And maybe they feel like, you know, guys like Campbell or or Ojolari should have been taken. But I do think this is worth spending a little bit of time on just for a moment. And you've heard me talk before about the perception when it comes to the NFL draft of it can be a great commercial for your program. When you have guys going early, it just makes it look good for future recruiting, and that's true. But the big issue with Georgia only having the one first-round pick last night is actually not so much about perception for future recruits. It's really more about the reality on the scene in the moment. 
that when you see Alabama have so many guys taking them, it just seemed like there was an Alabama guy called every other name. Like, you know, the guys are leaving the green room there, and it's like uh, just a line of hugs from other Alabama players in that same green room on their way to the, you know, to the podium last night. When you see that unfolding over and over again, I mean, you are reminded about just how tough it is to match what Alabama's done. And recruiting classes alone are not enough to do that. You actually have to fully develop those guys once you get them. And once again, to go back to the reality on the ground, Alabama has won two of the last four national championships. They won in 2017. They won this most recent season in 2020. But think about those two years in the middle, 2018 and 2019, when they did not win the national championship. Y'all, think for a second about what it took to beat them. I mean, if I have the numbers correct here, uh, and I think I do, the LSU team that beat Alabama in 2019, they now have had six first-round picks off that roster with more to come with guys like Derek Stingley still in Baton Rouge. They've now had six first-round picks off that roster. Am I right about that? I think there's a total of 16 first-round picks that played in the game between LSU and Alabama back in 2019, the one that uh, LSU won in Tuscaloosa. That's what it took to beat Alabama in 2019. Six first-round picks and counting off the same roster of the team that got it done. Same thing for Clemson, who beat Alabama in 2018 to win the national championship. Am I right in saying that Clemson roster now has five first-round picks with possibly more to come of guys who are still there at Clemson? Five first-round picks what it took to beat Alabama in 2018. Six first-round picks what it took to beat them in 2019. Nobody was able to do that in 2020. So this is what it's really about for Georgia. It's not just about having Roger Goodell calling names so that the recruiting pipeline stays nice and, and, and fluid. That's not what this is about. It's about having enough top-end talent just to be able to beat a team like that. And right now, Georgia quite hasn't crossed that final frontier yet. Now, there's nothing to say that it can't happen here this year with what's about to undergo and, and take place here in 2021. It certainly can. But it is not easy to do. I mean, you're asking a lot of guys to break in the direction of of household name, to become well-known, become you know a top-end type player. And the list of guys who have a chance to do that on the Georgia roster is as long as my arm at least. But the actual you know coming to fruition of all that is a much different step all the way around. So hear what I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not my goal to be negative here and say there's something greatly wrong with the Georgia program or anything like that. Those of you that listen and watch on a regular basis, surely you must understand that. What my point to bring out here is, is that for those of us who are so hungry to see Georgia get over the hump and win a national championship, for those of us who are so tired of, you know, seeing, you know, arch nemesis like Alabama kind of at the top of the college football world, I do think we have the obligation, especially for those of us who kind of talk into microphones for a living and do kind of the media type thing. I think we have an obligation, to be honest, that the task of overtaking what Alabama has done is really, really difficult. It takes about a half dozen first round picks. And that is what Georgia has to find a way to develop here between now and the start of the season in the, this fall to really think they have a legitimate chance of kind of getting that done. So that is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger here today. Before I bring on Jeff Centel, let me also remind you about this. Speaking of Athens, where it all went down and has gone down with guys getting ready for the NFL draft, so many of you love that community, and you just understand there are aspects of the Athens real estate world that kind of make it different than the other real estate markets here in our great state of Georgia, which means that if you're going to move to Athens or you want to retire, 
retire there or you're looking to get involved in an investment situation for students or, you know, uh, Airbnb type stuff. Or if you're looking for one of those game day condos, things like that, you want to have a local expert on your side to kind of help walk you through the specific intricacies that make the Athens real estate market red hot right now, but also, you know, somewhat challenging for people who don't know it, who don't live it each and every day. That's what my friends at Five Market Realty are going to be able to do for you. It's the number five, 5MRealty.com is the website to get in touch with Five Market Realty. They're on the 2021 Bulldog 100 list. When you do business with them, you're doing business with good dog people. But more importantly than that, they know all about the Athens real estate scene. As I said before, the game day condos, the investment opportunities uh, for folks who want to retire there. And it's amazing how hot that has become or people who just want to live there raise a family there in the great community that it is the folks at five market realty know all about that so find them online the number five five m realty.com that's five m realty.com today all right thank you so much for being here with us uh we'll talk more about the draft before we're done and all the other big things that happened for the sec uh last night we'll do all of that but for now commitment watch transfer portal watch a little bit on the draft there as well let's talk to our buddy jeff Sintel. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, we'll get ready to talk to our buddy Jeff Sintel. And obviously, as I said before, there is a lot to get to with Jeff involving uh, what might be a busy day for Georgia, possible commitment later on this afternoon. We'll pay close attention to that. But, you know, Jeff, I want to talk to you before we get there. You cover these guys before they get to Georgia. And I think you would say, much like I have said, that when it comes to meeting someone via interviews and getting to know them maybe just a little bit, I don't know if there's anyone who's more enjoyable to be around than what Eric Stokes has been for Georgia over the course of these last few years. You knew him as a recruit back when really very few people knew anything about him at all. He was not a highly rated recruit. We've been through this many, many times. But he's a first-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, one of the most you know hallowed organizations, one of the most recognizable uniforms, and uh, Stokes gets a chance to wear that thing and gets a chance to sign himself a you know life-changing generational wealth type contract. What an amazing American success story! You got it. Um, I mean, Brandon, that's one of those things where I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, maybe this is me getting in a certain stage of my career, but man, you just can't help but you know just feel for these young men and just just glow inside for what they've accomplished and what they've done. I mean, that Eric Stokes story, gosh, that's a great story. I mean, I remember talking to him when he wasn't sure what he was. He was an athlete. He played a lot of running back in high school. He he was blazing fast. But, you know, I've had some Packer friends reach out. They're all like, hey, tell me about this guy. And you know what? I can say seven things about Eric Stokes, about why if I was a – uh, billionaire NFL owner, why I would give him a $25 million contract. And you know the best thing we can say here, Brandon, is not one of those to me that comes to mind among the first five or six, seven things, is that 4-3 speed. And I know that's what qualifies him as a first-rounder. I know what makes him fly up draft boards. But uh, you want to talk about a guy. Like One of the funniest things is like, you know, when you write about these young men as we do and you try to define them as a human, not just as a, uh, a football game victory delivery device. And you, you, you hear so many people that are Dog Nation readers and listeners and viewers, and they're like, okay, I, I read that story about this kid. I couldn't wait to get to see him on the field. Well, I bumped into him, yada, 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 after a game or at a gas station or at a, at a restaurant. And, man, that's exactly the young man he was. I mean, 
I, I must know about, you know, 10 Eric Stokes stories. I got to visit with him recently after G-Day. Um, we talked about his career and talked about, you know, where he was going, where he was headed. All he really cared about really was uh, the opportunity and the chance. But if he had a choice, he wanted to go to a he wanted to go to a, an NFL team with no state income tax. <laughs> so I mean that I mean you know how it is, Brandon. That's how everybody would be, right? I mean they they start thinking about that generational money and taking care of people because they've worked so hard. And I mean Stokes is a guy like I say this a lot when I when I when I when I get to know these young men and people ask me about them or like coaches ask me about them and I say, listen, there's a phrase we have for a good dude. And you're going to be like, this kid's going to be professional. He's going to take care of himself. But then there's another shelf for an excellent young man and an excellent dude. And really, those guys, Eric Stokes is one of those guys, he makes those good dudes kind of look kind of paltry by comparison because there's even a big gap from a good dude to a kid like Eric Stokes. And so, Jeff, what I'll add to this conversation for a moment is, and I've told our audience this week, that obviously I have a bias in favor of Georgia players. I want to see them drafted high. I want to see them do well, and that's not a surprising thing. But in addition to that, I feel like I can have another bias when it comes to draft time and the fact that I want what you do on the field to matter. Now, you mentioned the fact that Stokes has you know, run really blazing 40-yard dash times leading up to his drafting, and that obviously gets the attention of draft scouts. But I think when you watched the film, you saw a guy that played well for Georgia, even dating back to 2018 when he came in kind of you know maybe midway through the season. This is a guy who made plays on the field. And I'd say the same thing about Aziz Ojolari, who you know obviously put up big numbers for Georgia a year ago that – you know, when I see guys, and listen, I'm not going to you know, criticize somebody who chose to opt out or anything like that, but when I see a guy who did opt out, drafted high, or when I see a guy who, you know, you know, didn't put up very much in the way of numbers drafted high, that's, you know, that's not my preference. My preference would be, especially if I'm an NFL GM, give me somebody who made plays at a high college level against other elite competition. And that's one of the reasons why, if I'm, you know, the Green Bay Packers, I'd feel pretty good about Stokes is the fact that this guy who made plays on the field during games, and those are the guys that I kind of want to see honored because I want to see college football matter. But also just as someone who kind of puts himself as like an armchair personnel man, that's the kind of person I would feel pretty good about drafting. I, I want to draft guys who've made plays during games. Yeah, right. I mean, Brandon, that's kind of the science of it to me. I mean, these guys are these guys are projected and ranked and signed, and they're put on the field to win games. They're put on the field to produce. And, you know, I have a hard time, especially with first-round uh, collateral, first-round real estate, picking a guy that just hasn't done it yet. I mean, you expect that light to come on when everybody on the field is an NFL dude, an NFL uh, quality player. Most of those guys on the field are going to be five, six, seven, eight years older than this first-round talent that you're taking right there. I mean, it all it is about, Brandon, is putting it together for the game. And that's why you look at a guy like Stokes, and let's, let's be honest, what was the biggest criticism of Stokes going into, going into his draft profile? Had to be the ball skills, had to be not enough interceptions. But look at last year, two pick sixes. I think he has four interceptions in nine SEC games. I mean, you see everything about Stokes, and that's a guy that's continuing to get better and better. He's going to be able to run with everybody. He's going to be able to stay in phase with everybody. He's going to work whatever, whatever shoes he has on off every day to make sure that he is a competent professional. And, I mean, you want to talk about – this is one of those things, Brandon, I think – I think we need to put this in the nomenclature here on our programs where everybody points to, okay, look right there at DeAndre Baker or, oh, look right there at uh, Jordan Davis and what he's done. I mean, really, what Eric Stokes has done, I think he was like the number 60 athlete in the country. 
um, you know, really late addition to Georgia's 2017 class, uh, probably was likely to go to other schools for a time there. And to see what he's done now, and he's another really huge success story for Georgia and that defensive back room, um, it's, it's a great thing to see for those that follow this program. So obviously early tonight in the second round, you could potentially see names like Tyson Campbell called. Certainly expect to see Aziz Ojolari going very early. I've already made my case off the top of the program. I'd love to see the Atlanta Falcons select Ojolari, let him stay at home, turn that into a feel-good story. But, you know, beyond that, Jeff, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I don't revel in, in being in any way negative or anything like that. That's not what I, what I think, you know, people sometimes want to hear. But it is worth pointing out that when Alabama has so many first-round picks taken, that when you look at Georgia trying to match that, trying to get over that hump of the Crimson Tide, I mean, think about what has beaten Alabama in recent years. An LSU team that I think now has six first-round picks off that roster in 2019 with more to come, at least, with Derek Stingley possibly next year. I think Clemson's now up to five off the 2018 roster with, you know, who knows what happens to a guy like Justin Ross now coming back. They may be, They may have more off that 2018 before it's all said and done, that that really and truly the final frontier for Georgia is producing those multiples of first-round picks that allows Georgia to kind of go step for step and keep pace and actually win those games against Alabama and you know the very best teams in the country. That's that's what's that's what's still left to be done for Georgia. And you know I'm not going to spike the football by saying it hasn't happened yet, but it clearly has not happened yet. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the comparatives, Brandon. I mean, Georgia's 2017 class, you got three first-rounders and you got one second-rounder in DeAndre Swift. Um, you know, you keep going forward. It Really, the conversation halts in my mind with I – mean, I don't know, Brandon, you don't I – know, I know you don't want to turn your program into, into the Alabama minute, much less the Alabama hour. But, I mean, that is truly phenomenal what they've done there with that 2017 class. There's the two national championships that the 2017 class had linchpin anchor moments as a part of it. I think they had three guys finish in the top five in the Heismans. I'm not trying to bury the lead, but I think everybody's seen this lead here about how they had eight first-round draft picks out of the same signing class in 2017. That's two quarterbacks. That's, I believe, three receivers. That's two offensive linemen. That's one running back. Um, do, you, do you see the comparison right there? Look, look what I just rattled off. Two quarterbacks, three receivers, two offensive linemen, and one wide receiver. Did you hear a defensive player in there at all? Well, they had a defensive player last year go in the second round in Xavier McKinney. And then you've got a guy like Dylan Moses, one of their top-tier top five-stars in that class. Dylan Moses will probably go in the top 100 picks today as well. I mean, I don't know how you can ever get anything more out of a signing class than what Alabama did right there in 2017. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly true. And, look, George's going to have a chance to do a lot of things here on the field this upcoming season, and there are a lot of potential names that can emerge as first-round picks in the 2022 draft. We all acknowledge that. I guess my point, though, is is I just don't want to gloss over it and be like, uh, Georgia's going to, you know, wait till next year for Georgia. It's it, next year's going to be Georgia's turn to have, you know, half dozen names called and, you know, you know, things along those lines. I just think it's really appropriate for those of us who are so hungry to see Georgia reach that level 
Jeff, I just think it's really appropriate for us to acknowledge just how difficult it really is. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And just being on the kind of the precipice of getting it done does not guarantee that you take that final step. This is really important for Georgia to fully develop all that top end talent from the first, you know, number one ranked 2018 class and highly ranked 2019 class and kind of all that elite talent that's still at Georgia are really important. Those guys get fully developed so they can have the kind of year in 2021 that we've seen Clemson, LSU, and Alabama enjoy over the course of the last three years. Yeah, Brandon, the, the words that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bold face italicize here that you just said is really important. And here's what's really important: you you look at one of the things that were going through my going through my mind watching the draft last night is uh, I think that the continued narrative for me is you got to get the right guys. It's really important to get the right guys. You see Rashad Bateman out of the state of Georgia. Uh, tw- he was a 2018 type guy, 2017 type guy, I, and he ends up going to Minnesota out of Tiff County. Why? Because a lot of the big boy schools, including Georgia, it wasn't just Georgia, but they got on him real late. And Bateman decided to be loyal and stay with, stay stick rowing the boat, I guess, with PJ Fleck in Minnesota. You see that another name, Elijah Moore. He didn't go in the first round, but he's expected to go really high in the second round. Especially at that receiver receiver position, Brandon. I know that is a uh, want to kick the can down the road topic there for you, but get the right receivers. Imagine what Georgia's offense would have looked like the last two or three seasons with an Elijah Moore and a Rashad Bateman. And I know that's not revisionist. I know that's not revisionist. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's about getting the right guys, and that's why I keep saying this. I mean, I don't know if it's a T-shirt or something, but I, I keep saying the biggest difference between what Georgia has done getting right there to the precipice, that term you like to use, and then what Alabama has continued to knock knock down the door, Clemson as well, is what they've done recruiting the wide receiver position. That is the biggest difference because everybody's going to go, how come Georgia can't have that? Why isn't Georgia having that yet? Well, you got to look to that wide receiver position and see you just got to hit on more of those guys, and that makes the whole offensive machine just hum so much more efficiently at a championship level. And we don't have time to do all this today, but at some point in time, I do think it'd be really interesting to see. You know, for the 2017 class, you know, Alabama brings in all those big time receivers. You know, Ruggs and Judy and Devontae Smith, obviously, end up winning the Heisman Trophy that none of us could have predicted there at the time. And they bring in those big receivers. And at the time, Alabama did not have a great reputation for throwing the football. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts has had a good year in 2016, but not really as a throwing quarterback. He was kind of thought of as more of a of a running quarterback. He was, frankly, probably not quite such a finished product throwing the football. And then prior to that, you know, Alabama was just not, you know, they'd had Calvin Ridley in the program, of course, but somehow, some way, you know, Alabama struck gold with those 2017 wide receivers. Of course, Waddle comes in for the class of 2018, but they struck gold with that trio of 2017 wide receivers without really having much of a throw game to kind of put on display to convince those guys to come. One of these days, the backstory about how all of that happened, I think it's probably worth revisiting because that was obviously the transformational moment for the Alabama program. Yeah, they had they had like the flex a little bit. They had like their Julio Jones legacy there, and then they had Calvin Ridley there. But they were able to marginalize or weaponize what reputation they had at receiver and then turn that into a, I mean, it is an absolute juggernaut pipeline. I mean, this is going to be a bad, bad, bad chapter in the novel, but Alabama's recruited receivers better than they ever have in the 2021 class. They got yeah. four top 100 receivers in the 2021 class. So what is it, the risk getting richer? I can think of a better term for that, man. It's almost like um, Dubai, you know, you know, Saudi Arabian oil prints money are getting richer or whatever because 
man, you look at this, you look at this stuff, what they're doing right now. And here's one thing that I, everybody's in the five stars and the four stars and the three stars. Well, check this. Alabama's 2017 class that we just spent a minute or two trumpeting right there. They didn't even really hit on a lot of their five star guys. I mean, they didn't hit on Dylan Moses. He was, I think, their second or third rated guy. They didn't hit on a guy like LeBron Ray, who's still there and will be coming back to Alabama uh, for another season in 2021. That's another five-star lineman. Look at that defensive side of the ball. Brandon, I think it all falls, um, the theory I have, is look, look what's happened over the last 10 to 15 years. High school players are throwing the ball and practicing throwing the ball more than they ever have before in the history of this game. That's the quarterback instruction. That's the wide receiver instruction with greats like Terrence Edwards funneling back into the game. And, Brandon, you can get a seven-on-seven going just about any time now where inside drill, run games, I mean, that's the ability now for that passing game to be polished year-round and to have competition and develop that throw game and catch game year-round. You're seeing these players that look like great receivers in the high school ranks and looking like one and talking like one and acting like one. You're seeing those players become exactly that in college football and now in pro football. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. By the way, speaking of wide receivers, we're going to have a chance to maybe see Georgia add one before it's done here today. At least the possibility of that exists. I'll tell you about that and get Jeff Sintel's thoughts about that too. But before that, you know, springtime, great time for a getaway. Obviously, in the Atlanta area, short drive, maybe what you're looking for. No better place to think about than the beautiful mountains of western North Carolina. And my friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort with the new reimagined, healthy and safe, socially distant gaming floor. Also, gourmet restaurants and world-class shopping opportunities, uh, luxury spa. Just a really, really wonderful getaway. The book is now open. Uh, you can do sports gaming right there in the mountains of western North Carolina as well. It is the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort property. is the original property and Harris Cherokee. Valley River. This is a great chance for you to get away here this spring. To find out more details about them, check them out online at Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. You can find out a whole lot more about the Harris-Cherokee Casino Resort and the Harris-Cherokee Valley River. Two great properties, both. Just a two-hour drive from Atlanta. Uh, Less of a drive than that from where I'm sitting right now is North Cobb High School, and that is the uh, location of Denella Morissette, a four-star wide receiver for the class of 2022. And Morissette putting it out on Twitter here over the course of the last 24 hours that today is decision day for him. He's saying yesterday that he's committing today here at 2 p.m. Jeff, this seems to be one. It's a name we've talked about before, of course, but this seems to be a player that Georgia's pretty heavily in the mix for. What's the chances that UGA is on commit watch later on today? Yeah, I mean, that's What's that online chatter you talk to, Brandon? I think all the ants are kind of marching in a certain direction. Um, you know, the, the nylon is a guy that, first of all, uh, four-star wide receiver. I think uh, I, I think he's the type of guy that's that that's the type of prospect that the Georgia can, that the Georgia football offense can use more of. They need more guys like a Denylon Morissette. You saw what he did in seven eight football. Uh, you've seen what he does for Hustle Inc. on on a seven on seven circuit. Um, he played he played brilliantly last year for Brookwood High School in an offense that had a lot of weapons. And um, that's a guy that you know, he told me a while back, obviously, that Island's probably one of the more honest and upfront recruits you could ever talk to. And he told me a while back that he was almost ready to commit about a month ago. And he felt like he already had the decision in mind. Um, and now it's probably not even a month later, and he's ready to roll out with his decision before May gets here. And it's funny because the Nylon has all these official visits set up in set up in June, and most most players that are in his kind of position right now are just going to wait it out, ride out that month of 
that right out the month of May until they really get to their discovery process. But for for him, you know, there's always been the the lure. Uh, I think we reported this maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, the lure for him was always Alabama, and he's like, well, Alabama's not rocking me right now. They're not talking to me like these other schools are, and you know, that's fine. They can do what they want. I've got to do what I need to do for my career. And you know, without the lure of the, the Crimson Tide, and it's a familiar subject, I think, Brandon. I know the way you like to be an expert showrunner and formatter. You you wanted me to get me talking about Alabama receivers because then it would all dovetail and uh, segue into uh, Denial and Morissette. But you got to force you got a four star receiver. You got a guy that checks all the boxes. I think you know he, he, there's only a handful of guys that if, if Georgia is is fortunate enough to get his commitment and eventually sign Denial and Morissette. There's only about a handful of names that Georgia has signed over the last four or five years that I would say, okay, forget the rankings, that this guy's a, clearly a better prospect coming into college football than the Nyland Morissette is. I think he's big. I think he's got great ball skills. I think he's an effective um, yards-after-catch runner. I think he's very polished. I, he's always put a lot, of con- a lot of concrete work into his game. Um, and I'll be excited to see where he goes at 2 p.m. today, too. All right, so I want to ask you about one more thing before we let you go, but let me just kind of dovetail on the back of this. Give me a little bit more of a thumbnail sketch for those of us who haven't maybe seen as much of his film or just trying to play catch-up here. Give me a little bit more of a, of a thumbnail about Morissette as a player for a moment. Yeah, so he's a guy that you saw him last year finally get connected with a big-time offense at Brookwood and a big-time quarterback in Dylan Lonergan, a 2023 arm that – you know, he's gotten all the offers, just picked up an Alabama offer lately. And, you know, Brandon, he became unguardable, really, in some of the biggest games last year for Brookwood. I remember games where he has, like, seven seven catches, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Um, you see him at the seven-on-seven events, very hard to cover. He's very linked in with guys like Marquise Gross, Killebrew. That was a former teammate there with him at Brookwood, very linked in with um, a guy like uh, – Gunnar Stockton, man. Gunnar Stockton and Nylon Morissette, they've been playing together in some sort of postseason all-star game format for like the last, you know, m- most of their careers, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, all the way through middle school. Uh, that's a guy that would have an, an instant and, and an easy rapport there with uh, Gunnar Stockton. And for Georgia to do what it wants to do in the 2022 class offensively, you gotta you got to add a name like Kojo Antwi. you got to add a name like Oscar Delp. Uh, and those are guys that all they're all fast friends. They all know each other really well. Playing on the, the same seven on seven team, getting on those bus rides to those long tournaments. Um, you know, you've got a guy that I think uh, you won't you won't hear a lot of people say the term uh, needs to put on weight or uh, needs to get stronger or uh, needs to needs to add a lot of polish because he's really. Cause I think Denial is probably a top two hundred level prospect. Uh, 225 level prospect. I think he's one of the top 25 receivers in the country, top 30 receivers in the country on the composite. Um, and you know, the fact is, Brandon, I'll just say it again, Georgia, if they're lucky enough to, to win this commitment and also get that signature uh, down the road, I, I think that's that's a Georgia offense that could use more players like Denial and Morissette. All right, let me squeeze one more thing in before we say goodbye to you here today. You know, there is conventional wisdom out there. Georgia's got a couple scholarships to play with, and obviously we've thought about defensive back for, for one of those, even though Tyke Smith's kind of already in the fold as a transfer from West Virginia. And every time a defensive back shows up in the transfer portal, you're left to wonder, ooh, 
Could this be a name that Georgia might also consider? And we've kind of done the same thing a little bit with wide receiver, too, just because of the, I think, conventional belief that maybe Georgia's always looking to stock up that position group there as well. So when Xavier Worthy, you know, leaves Michigan, you're kind of left to wonder, "Hmm, maybe this guy Georgia might consider. That ends up not being the case. Or Mike Woods leaves Arkansas, uh, ends up not being the case. But for a while, you're kind of left to kind of wonder on that. Now you got Jamison Williams. You know, no one's really probably – we talked about Alabama and their wide receiver depth, but Ohio State can certainly rival that with its wide receiver depth there Well, as well. doesn't seem like Williams was getting as much playing time as he wanted, and now he's put his name in the transfer portal too, according to what a lot of the media outlets have kind of put out there on that. Obviously, as you see from the rivals tweet there on the screen, for those of you watching the video, this is a former highly, highly rated recruit here, like a lot of the Ohio State receivers are. Uh, any chance that Georgia might – getting the mix here on a on a transfer for a guy like Jamison Williams former really really big time recruit as a part of a just a loaded and deep Ohio State wide receiver situation yeah I think honesty is one of the things that I think would drive uh this recruitment because I think you know what were we talking about earlier Brandon we want guys that that put up the put up the data put up the stats put up the points well can you get any more high profile than Ohio State's offense over the last couple years any more high flying with Trigger man Justin Fields at the helm, and I think he's got 15 catches, Brandon. I think he's a top 115 type player. I think he's got 15 catches, nine of those last year uh, for Ohio State. Uh, I don't think he was going to be one of the top receivers, top three receivers maybe. Maybe he was the number three or number four receiver at Ohio State going into this season, and uh, apparently he's transferring out because he wants to be, he wants a greater role in a big-time offense than that, and and I don't know if a guy like Jamison Williams, to me, I don't know if a guy like Jamison Williams, to me, comes in and immediately becomes one of the top three receivers at even a place like Georgia. Hmm. Um, you know, that you think about it. Is he better? Does he have better credentials? Does he have better production than Burton? No, not, not, not Burton's first year. You know, you keep adding a guy like, a, you know, does Blaylock come back? What about Arian Smith? Similar player, similar skill set to Arian Smith. I don't think Jamison is quite as fast as um, – as Arian Smith, Jamison Williams is actually more of a hurdler in high school, 300 meter hurdler champion. I think he broke some of Ezekiel Elliott's uh, records uh, in high school for his, for their state. Um, it, it comes back down to this, Brandon. This is a guy that when I heard an Ohio State receiver is in the transfer portal, uh, and I'm not trying to stir up too much here. I, I, I was hoping uh, for the intrigue of like a piece that a lot of teams could use. I was thinking of another name because Ohio State has stacked up, you know, tons, tons of talent at wide receiver. I think they've gotten like four top fifty receivers over the last over the last two or three cycles, and you know, all those guys can't play either. You know, you saw the three guys that they signed that were freshmen a year ago. You know, Julian Fleming. Um, names go on and on and on, man. And uh, Jamison Williams is kind of a guy that's. You just got to look at that situation and said he probably thinks he's buried. He probably thinks he's not going to get the balls that he deserves to escalate his NFL draft stock. So I think it's one of those things. You throw Mike Woods in there in the mix, you know, is that a guy that Georgia will look at? Sure, Georgia's going to look at everybody at a position of need in the transfer portal. But um, if the guy's leaving Ohio State, he really wasn't a producer. Um it calls to mind a couple of questions in my mind. All right, Jeff, great stuff. Thank you for being here on Dog Nation Day presented by Kroger. I know you got some big surprises in store coming up over the course of the next couple of days at dognation.com there as well. So I'm looking forward to reading that, plus whatever happens with the Morris set later on today. I know you've got great stuff planned, so we can't wait to, we can't wait to read about it. All right, guys. Hey, have yourself a great weekend, Brandon, and uh, continue on with another great show. Thank you, sir. 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, let me just say this here really quick on the heels of uh, obviously a good bit of Bama talk there just because of all the first-round picks that they've had. And I do think that it is kind of amazing. I don't think the receivers at Alabama have gotten enough credit because I think, you know, at one point in time, everyone was so enamored by Tua Tungo Vailoa. And Tungo Vailoa is kind of treated as this like, transformational figure for the Bama program and college football. But the honest truth is, is that, you know, uh, you know, Tua kind of leaves Alabama when he did with a lot less of a legacy than some people thought he might have. And the jury absolutely still out on him in terms of, is he really even the quarterback of the future for the Miami Dolphins? I mean, we're not 100% sure about that right now, which would lead me to believe that when it comes to the unbelievable offensive transformation that Alabama underwent, that actually it's the presence of those receivers that Tua got to throw to once he became Alabama's starting quarterback that actually is the real bedrock story for how that program became what it was, more so than Tungo Vailoa making those guys into stars. Those guys probably made Tungo Vailoa into a little bit more of a household name because we've seen Tua you know, not exactly be the bulletproof prospect than some people kind of assumed that he would be. I think in Georgia, though, the situation is going to be a little bit different. I think that quarterback can be a lever to just open up the floodgates for draft picks, that once you start producing first-round-level quarterback play, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to have the wide receivers benefit from that, tight ends benefit from that, Running backs even benefit from that. Clyde Edwards, he later, after all, was a first-round pick off that LSU team in 2019. Travis Etienne uh, off what happened at Clemson playing alongside Trevor Lawrence. That that quarterback can be a lever, and that lever for Georgia quite hasn't been pulled to the level of you know first-round you know pick-type play. So if you get the big year from JT Daniels that you hope to get, and that starts a lineage of you know Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift after that or Gunnar Stockton after that or whichever names you want to fill in there, if George is about to go through a situation where it's playing the quarterback position at kind of a first-round level, something up until now under Kirby Smart it has not done, then all of a sudden the chances of you having a lot more first-round picks to go along with that, I think the chances of that increase because big-time play from the quarterback benefits uh, the other positions there in that there as well. So we'll, we'll talk more about that as part of our SEC. Through. Let me also remind you that we're actually really coming to the end of our Kroger Five Star Moms promotion. I think next week we're going to start giving out the winners. That's one per day coming up the week of Mother's Day. So a little bit of time for you to kind of get in here and uh, get your get your you know uh, nomination in there. So go to dognation.com. If you haven't heard us talking about this yet, I, I can't even believe the submissions. We've gotten hundreds of these. They've all, at least the people who've been reading them have been telling me, they are all just so touching and so inspiring, really, to see the role the family is playing in the audience, and I'm always happy about that. So dognation.com to find out more details about that. When you're ready to make your nomination for your own mother, the, the wife that you watch be a mother to your children, or just a mother that you know, info at dognation.com is the email address. And then next week, we're announcing winners. Uh, it's a $50 gift card to Kroger, Bath and Body Works, and Home Chef. So this is really kind of uh, very, very cool stuff. Uh, it's our Kroger Five Star Moms promotion. It comes to a conclusion next week, so get involved right now while you can on that. As far as the rest of the SEC and the NFL draft, I've told you before that as a Falcons fan, I wasn't thrilled with the idea of Kyle Pitts going number four overall to Atlanta. First of all, I would have taken quarterback right there. I've been fairly clear that I would have taken Justin Fields. But the one thing that even someone like me, who's like, you know, all-time Gator hater, so even someone like me has to acknowledge is that, I mean, Pitts is a pretty remarkable prospect. And 
the fact that it's even reasonable to even assume that he might be able to replace the production from someone like Julio Jones, who could be on his way out of Atlanta after June 1st. I mean, that says a lot about what Pitts did. And you go back and watch the highlights and you watch all the, you know, the, the game film that are kind of, you know, republished as a part of this draft conversation. And you really do see a guy that runs step for step with cornerbacks and does so many things. I mean, there aren't many like Kyle Pitts. And I guess the one kind of silver lining to all this is it's going to be hard for, for Florida to sell, hey, come here and be the next Kyle Pitts. That's what they tried to do for Rick Gilbert, it would seem. But it's hard to sell somebody on coming here and being the next Kyle Pitts when you really haven't seen someone like Kyle Pitts prior to this. The odds are there isn't a next Kyle Pitts, but certainly that's what Dan Mullen's going to try to push. I mean, obviously, he also had Kadarius Tony go last night in the top 20 of the draft. I mean, that's a success. I mean, listen, it pains me to say this, but that's a bit of a success story for Florida there, too. Just in that, you know, no one would have had Tony on their first round radar before the season began. You'll give Kadarius himself a lot of credit for that. He made himself into a better football player, but but clearly he thrived last year for Florida. And so Florida gets to celebrate a couple of skill position guys going high in the draft. I still, I guess all things being equal, probably wouldn't have taken Pitts with that pick last night from the Falcons, but you kind of understand where you come from on that. Um, I think Mac Jones going to New England is really interesting here because it's easy to say body type wise, personality wise, oh, he just reminds you so much of Tom Brady. But I do think it's important to point out just how difficult in sports across the board, not just NFL, but sports across the board, just how difficult it's been to replace the all-time great, right? I mean, the Chicago Bulls try to do that with Michael Jordan, doesn't really work. You know, Lakers try to do that post-Kobe Shaq, doesn't really work. Yankees try to do that, you know, kind of post-Derek Jeter era. You know, thus far, that kind of hasn't quite come to pass, you know, um, even if you want to talk about Braves, you know, trying to move on from the Chipper Jones, you know, big three pitching, you know, that that era. You know, there's some hiccups along the way for that, that everybody just sort of seems like, well, since Mac Jones reminds you of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick has found his next Tom Brady. And I'm not just quite so sure that's, that, you know, that's necessarily the right way on that. I mean, the fact of the matter is when you look at some of the personnel decisions that New England has made, you know, kind of not always giving Brady some of the weapons that he needed. I kind of wonder, you know, Jones clearly was thrilled last night to kind of follow in the footsteps of the organization that once called Tom Brady called home. But I'm not quite so sure the one that Mac Jones is stepping in is anywhere near close to the same organization it once was. And by comparison, you know, a lot of people are going to assume that Jones is more likely to be successful in New England than someone like, say, Justin Fields is in Chicago, just given the fact that Chicago has not had quarterback success in the past. But I think that's a little too simplistic in my mind. Um, I don't mind Fields getting a chance to be the face of an organization. I mean, Chicago fans are going to love Justin Fields because they thought Andy Dalton was going to be their QB one. And looks like now Fields is about to take Martell, Andy Dalton, which Bears fans will be thrilled about. And that's just such a franchise that's so hungry for success. Obviously, to a degree, it creates more pressure for Fields, you might say, but also just creates a chance for him to step into a situation that every good thing he does is just going to be magnified and celebrated so much by Bears fans who want, they just want to see that, that uh, you know, that, that, that quarterback play well there. So just quick, you know, synopsis of the quarterback for me. I mean, it seems like you're stepping into a bad situation because Chicago's been bad. But in the case of you know San Francisco taking Trey Lance at three overall, you almost wonder if this is Kyle Shanahan falling in love with his own genius. Trey Lance just hasn't played very much football. I mean, give me fields over any of the quarterbacks right now. 
you know, frankly, even with Trevor Lawrence going to to Jacksonville, you understand why he goes number one overall. But you're stepping to a situation that's far from a given there as well, just given the coaching staff that that Urban Meyer's trying to put together and the unresolved. You know that there, there's still a lot for Urban Meyer to prove at the NFL level. So I think I think mixed expectations for a lot of the quarterbacks, but I don't see a reason why Fields couldn't be successful in Chicago and make that your SEC through. And as we wrap up here today, I'll remind you to go ahead and make your submissions for our golden shoe. We love giving those out as a part of our Gator Hater roll call each and every day. Best way for you to do that is to hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Show me your Gator hating credentials, and we'll obviously celebrate you on the show as we have with so many people over the course of the last few months. That's been a really fun add-on to our show here. So looking forward to doing that. Hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, and you can get a chance to do that. Let me also say this. For those of you that want the most Dog Nation coverage, one of my recommendations would be to make sure that you're subscribed to Dog Nation on YouTube. Great video platform, not just shows like this, Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger, but also all the press conference stuff and all the other you know, player interviews. All, so many great things with Eric Stokes over the years. Find that all on the Dog Nation YouTube page and get those notifications for when we go live. As we say goodbye to you on this Friday, how about a Gator Hater countdown in 183 days? Dogs beat Florida. We'll see you Monday, Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. And on the podcast, time now for R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We're not going to go super long today. I'm actually going to do a virtual reading with my daughter's school class here in a moment. So I'm going to have to hop off the air. Plus, the show is super long today. At least it seemed like it was. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> it didn't sound quite the way I wanted it to sound. The point is, uh, we're not going to go super long here because I want to be respectful of all your time there as well. Uh, I will read this real quick from our buddy Mark Morris, who writes on Twitter. And by the way, you can always be a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down, by reaching out to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in our comment section, dognation.com. He says, uh, kind words, another great show today, B.A., my daily routine, which I never miss, light up an excellent late afternoon cigar accompanied by a Coke Zero, go up to the neighborhood park and watch the best show on the airwaves. That's an incredible, incredible thing. Uh, Mark lives down in Florida. Uh, that is an incredible, incredible thing, Mark. I really appreciate that. And for all of you who kind of make your own routine around our show, it means so much to me. I uh, hope all of you have a, a great weekend. I hope you will check out my friends at RS Andrews for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. Enjoy the weekend. See you back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger, and we'll look forward to talking to you then.